0: Uh, can you uh, elaborate more on that? You or your the you or your you, um, because when we you know die and rise with Christ and our actions are supposed to be more Christ-like, uh, can you just elaborate more on it so it's yeah. not a self-motivated thing? But
1: our sinful selves, in God's view, are not our real selves. Our sinful selves are caricatures of our real selves. Our sinful selves are distortions or corruptions. Of our real selves. When the prodigal son left the pig pens of the far country, Jesus says in Luke's Gospel, when he came to himself, that is, when he became again who he really was, he rose and said, I will go to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned. Our real self is the self that God has always intended us to be, with a particular mix of virtues, with particular small triumphs and then greater triumphs over our vices, with particular ways of reflecting the glory of God. No person reflects the glory of God exactly the same as any other person. We are all unrepeatable divine thoughts, unique divine inspirations, and God wants the person whom he intends us to be to become that person. That's what I mean by talking about you becoming you
0: Talking again about the process of you becoming you how does the Holy Spirit, our interaction with the Holy Spirit, how does that factor into the process?
1: The work of God in what's called sanctification, becoming virtuous, becoming righteous, becoming just, becoming good, The work of the Holy Spirit is extremely mysterious, but we know it's there because Christians who have been faithful and in whom the grace of God has worked can look back and scarcely believe who they used to be and who they are today by God's grace. The Holy Spirit has to be at work. There is no possible way that any one of us can engineer, arrange, achieve our own sanctification. In fact, uh, do-it-yourself Gospels are some of the cruelest Gospels out there because they assign to us what no human being can do to achieve our own righteousness. That is a recipe for ceaseless oscillation between pride and despair. Pride. I'm making it. I've made it. Despair. I'll never make it. John Calvin, one of the first... Calvinist theologians. (laughs) One of my favorite theologians. Has a memorable place in book three of the Institutes of the Christian Religion in which he says that the only way that a person can be released from the ceaseless oscillation between pride and despair is when the grace of God sets this person free and gives him or her repose. One of Calvin's favorite words, repose, poise, um, deep peace, that you don't have to try to achieve this. You do have to answer the call to clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, and there's a huge paradox there and lots of possibilities of going wrong and lapsing right back into do-it-yourself religion. I know that, still. There is a wonderful mystery of God's grace and our meager answering of the call that in some Christians, we all know some, those of us who hang around with Christians, achieves pretty magnificent results. I was saying to a group this morning that um, elderly Christian women often have lined into their faces such kindness that you know they have been at this for 60 years and their faces tell you that they have clothed themselves with kindness. That is a beautiful thing to see.
0: Thanks. Uh, thank you again for coming and speaking to us. Um, your your speech really reminded me. Having just read *Mere Christianity* by C.S. Lewis, a lot of the themes that you're talking about seemed very reminiscent to the book, um, which I did enjoy. So, <laughs> um, and he brings up in his book, uh, you know, as as this is a struggle um, to maintain these virtues, he he kind of suggests um, kind of the fake it till you make it approach. Um, you know, he alludes to that. And I'm I'm curious since you cited um, the clothe yourself. Uh, Verse, sort of alluding to starting at the the exterior and and, you know having it become more sincere. I'm sort of wondering what your views are on that. Yeah, the sort of faking it till you till it becomes a part of you.
1: And how faking it till you make it um, is distinct from hypocrisy. Doing something that you do not want to do does not make you a hypocrite. Otherwise, every one of us who gets up in the morning when our alarm goes off (laughs) would be hypocrites for getting up. It doesn't qualify as as hypocrisy to do something that is um, unusual for you or new for you. For a recovering uh, alcoholic... The first day this person doesn't drink will seem so strange. And the second day will seem strange. And the third day, is this hypocrisy? Of course not. This is a slow, step-by-step approach to the alcoholic becoming you And for any of us who wants very much to be the person that God intends us to be. At first, I mean, when you are not a Christian and you start to become one, your first attempts at prayer seem so weird. What is this? Um, It feels like you're talking to yourself. You, You wonder how you got into this predicament where you're doing something so strange. But day by day, if you keep on knowing that or trusting that or having good friends assuring you that if you persist, you are going to enjoy communion with God that you could never have imagined. When you do this day by day by day, after a while you would miss your prayers only in the same way that you would miss a meal or miss a night's sleep. It's become part of who you are. And it is no hypocrisy to do at the start what's not yet Part of your practice, but which you hope will become part of your practice. Um, A child learning how to play the violin barely knows which end of the bow to grab, and trying to make a decent sound on a violin generally takes about a year. A person is not a hypocrite to think she's a student of the violin and even a violinist, even though she sounds like the wretchedest of cats for at least a year, that's okay. That's part of the process of learning to do this. And similarly with the Christian life, so much of it has to do with getting acclimated to something that at first seems very strange because our old self has to unlearn all of its old identity and its old habits and our new self has to start clothing itself with all of its virtues. C.S. Lewis, who uh, of course has written um, deeply and memorably about so much and including this, says, um, imagine a small girl going to her dress up box. She pulls out um, a dress that you know, folds over three times on the floor. She's got earrings that hang down to the bottom of her neck uh, she's got shoes that are six times too big for her and she clumps around in them. She has uh, a hat that falls down over her eyes. Um, is is all this a fraud? Of course not. She is hoping to grow into these clothes and to become a full adult. And that's what Christians do who fake it till they make it. They're trying on their clothes. And hope that one day they will wear them with all the grace and naturalness that belongs to them.
0: Hello. <laughs> um, I guess going along that sort of um, illustration that you had about uh, the alcoholic. Um, How do you or how do we as Christians who are either struggling with
1: beach ball sins or uh, are ministering to people who are falling away back into sin, um, how do we encourage them or how do we come to a biblical um, and realistic uh, understanding of, of what it means to keep on pressing on when it seems like, well, I had this and now I don't. So did I have it to begin with? Yeah. That's a searching question, and I have a really, really good answer to it, but I see that our time is almost up. and um, No, actually it isn't, so I've got to try to answer this question. Um, <laughs> one principle that helps a lot of Christians is that we have to walk into the kingdom of God with as much as we have to walk with. Few of us will stride in purposefully, manfully, womanfully, with all of our resources, with every department of our lives ready to be handed over. Um, No, we are dragging a leg or we are uh, compartmentalizing one of our fondest lusts Um, God is easy to please but hard to satisfy and the easy to please part means that God is pleased by any offering of as much as we have to offer at this point hard to satisfy God wants all of us at some point and it may take a long time for that to happen it may take in fact our death and resurrection at the very end. There may be uh, lingering sins and habits even at the end. That's my interpretation. There are some Christian brothers and sisters who take a different view. But when we ourselves lapse, when a dear friend lapses, when somebody we're helping lapses, this is not the end. This is a lapse. It does not mean the game is over. It does not mean God has abandoned anybody. It means that we are still, even when we profess faith in Christ, even when we have been born again, still liable to lapses. Again, there are Christians who have a different view of that. I'm telling you how I see it. And to have both a knowledge of, a realistic knowledge of how it is with us frail, fallible human beings and how it is with the resourceful, remorseless, stubborn grace of God. God's grace is way more stubborn than our sins. Is to see that the thing to do is to express sorrow, contrition, get back up on our feet and start living again. Trusting that God will enable us to learn from this lapse to become more vigilant in the future and to love us right through. A God who loves people while they are yet sinners will certainly love them in the process of being converted from sinners to
0: saints. Hi. Hi. Um, First off, um,
1: I'm a Calvin student, so hi oh that's great (laughs) (laughs) wonderful um i have a just a quick question maybe it won't be a quick answer but um on one of your viewpoints maybe um i've recently just begun like um kind of looking more into the power of the holy spirit and what exactly comes with that in terms of like harnessing it and like healing power and whatnot. I was wondering if you could express
0: maybe some of your viewpoints on that or something like that. Um, Because at Calvin, I experienced like a lack of teaching in that from the religion
1: department as something that was maybe left out or um, whatnot. You're not actually a Calvin student. You're a plant from another college uh, (laughs) intended here to... Okay. Um, (laughs) Okay. I would say that you're quite right about um, some Christian um, groups, denominations, uh, sub-communities having a greater sensitivity to the power of the Holy Spirit and um, a greater emphasis on the power of the Holy Spirit than some others. Uh, Confessional Calvinists have been I think, not the worst in this regard, but certainly not the best either, and uh, can often do a whole lot more by way of acknowledging uh, the God-almighty supernatural uh, work of the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, of course, um, is manifested not only in special healings and in um, the kinds of what we would regard as miracles and would call miracles, the greatest miracle of all, not uh, inferior in power or astonishment, from creation or the raising of the dead, is conversion itself. A hard heart becoming soft and open to God, what could be more amazing than this? A person who used to find joy only in stuff that was dreary and depressing and dangerous, now finding joy And God, his Savior, her Savior. What could be more amazing than this? So my only plea is that for those of us who desire a more sensitive, a stronger appreciation of the work of the Holy Spirit, by all means, it's all through the Bible. But don't forget the biggest miracle, the turning of a hard heart into a soft one. That is remarkable. And whenever it happens, we ought to call to each other, and wonder over this, because only God could have done it. Only the Holy Spirit was really at work here. So yes, uh, a healing touch from the Holy Spirit. We all hear accounts from all over the world of stuff that sounds really implausible to us. People being raised from the dead on a continent quite a ways away from us. Um, People... Uh, having one leg shorter than the other that then becomes the equal length of the other leg. Uh, People who had never spoken their whole lives and one Thursday afternoon, somebody lays hands on them and they start to speak. Uh, What would be a person's response upon hearing one of these accounts? Well, I'll speak for myself. I want to have... um, a pious agnosticism about these reports. They may very well be true, praise God. They might also be fraudulent. People are as fraudulent about miracle stories as they are about almost anything else. And half the time you just don't know. But that miracles occur, that God sometimes works in extraordinary ways with a healing touch, I think you, if you are a Christian, I think you have to believe that. So more power to you as you think about it and probe into it and look for it. Um, be sure you keep your wits about you as you do so. One uh, more. Hi. Hi, I uh, wonder what would uh, you uh, recommend people of the young younger generation in um, you know as you were
0: mentioning in uh, Romans 12 that you know God desires to uh, have uh, us uh, transforming and renewing our minds and uh, also grow in holiness. Uh, what would be your recommendation for you know us young younger generation in terms of uh, spending all our life, in prayer, in reading the scriptures, and in service to uh,
1: to you know, the people of God and to the community at large? Some things always stay the same. Some things change. The things that stay the same for Christians, it doesn't matter what generation you live in or what part of the world you live in. Um, it doesn't matter what people group you belong to. Some things stay the same. Uh, they are part of... Mere Christianity, basic Christianity. Reading the Bible respectfully, expectantly, attentively, listening for God's voice in the Holy Bible. Praying with the kind of tenderness of heart, honesty, so that you don't, you know, pray to God, "Um, Dear God, sometimes I'm not quite as honest as I should be. No, that's not really a candid prayer. The the candid prayer version is, "Oh Oh God, I just lied to John. And it's the second time in three days. Honest, candid, tender prayers to God with some periods of silence, listening for God. I think that the classic Christian spiritual exercises, the kind of thing that you can find, you know, in Dallas Willard's work or many of the great Christian writers, Richard Foster, many of them, are all exercises intended to deepen us to make us simpler, deeper Christians. They are the same pieces of advice that have been given in the church for centuries, and the advice is good. These exercises work. What changes from generation to generation, from place to place, from people group to people group, is what the peculiar challenges are to you in your generation, in your setting, where the dangers are. Uh, You don't uh, bring fire when the forest fire is already raging. You don't bring a fire hose to a flood. You have to discern your context to know what the particular or peculiar dangers that you are facing are, and then customize your way of life as a Christian to adapt. So, you know, think about life in North America today, which is where we are going to university or living in Ithaca, New York. What are the peculiar challenges to us today? Well, some of them are as old as the hills. Idolatry, arrogance, envy, anger, laziness, greed, lust, gluttony. But the form that these challenges and temptations take uh, is quite different today from what it was in the 16th century when you did not have a consumerist culture, you did not have uh, 24-7 um, barrages of advertising, of uh, cultural works, including films that um, often put the best face on evil. There's a whole set of challenges and difficulties that Christians face today depending on their cultural setting that other people in other generations and in other settings did not face. We need to know them. We need a cultural discernment. Discern the spirits is one of the main uh, invitations and commands to us. And then adapt our Christian living accordingly. That's part of the adventure of living a Christian life and there are lots of people around who are savvy about it and can help us all. Thank you, men and women, for uh, your wonderful hospitality and attention. It's been just great to be with you tonight. God bless you.